Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to the latest installment of the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett, joined by the owner of Blackthorn Golf Club in South Bend, Tim Firestone. Our colleague, John Foster, is on, I guess, assignment today, so hopefully we'll hear from him next week here on the Mick Ultra Golf Show. Well, Tim, I tell you what, we're heading toward the month of June, and I know you've talked about on various installments of this Mick Ultra Golf Show, it has been a really, really good year so far for the golf industry in northern Indiana. In particular, you had a record month of April out at Blackthorn Golf Club in South Bend, May. The weather's been a little topsy-turvy. I know we've had plenty of rain late this week. So how would you kind of assess the month of May for Blackthorn and maybe in general in this area? Well, again, I think it's uh, if it's nice out, we're busy. So... People, the demand is still there, and uh, it's been great. Um, so I think that uh, May will still shape up uh, to be a pretty good month for us, even with the weather. And um, I would assume that it's the same way uh, across all of northern Indiana. Um, ben Oak Golf Course, which um, I'm now involved with, um, with some new ownership there. They have had, they've been uh, just swamped, never... Huh. Uh, I've seen that many players before. So um, it's all that advertising working on the sports speed there. That's what has changed it over there. I'm not surprised. I'm really not. You're welcome, by the way, Tim, for all we can yep. do for you. But <laughs> now we, we appreciate your relationship for so many years, and I'm glad to know that radio advertising has worked so well for you. Maybe just a quick thought on your relationship out at Ben Oak. I know we have – Heard the radio commercials on WSBT. I've seen some of the commercials during golf on television. So what is your relationship and what is happening there? And for people that don't know, where is the golf course? So Ben Oak um, Golf Club uh, is on the south side of Elkhart, right up the bypass uh, and 19. Um, just a short drive from South Bend. I can get there probably 20, 25 minutes from Blackhorn. Um, but, uh, the previous owner who had built and developed the course passed away last year. And a lot of the homeowners were worried about what would happen. Um, you know, I think obviously their home values would go down if there wasn't a golf course there. So there was, uh, five gentlemen that, uh, stepped up, um, and purchased the golf course. Hmm. And, um, I worked with them from the very first meeting we had going back into November and uh, negotiated the deal uh, with the previous owners uh, trust and uh, they closed on the course in April um, have put in um, a, a bunch of uh, improvements the clubhouse um, all new carpeting um, the whole bar area has been uh, renovated um, redoing the bunker starting this week um, so really have made some great improvements and there's just a lot of buzz and and, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was private for many, many years. And recently they had opened it up to the public, but I don't think they ever told anybody. So nobody knew that it was even <laughs> open to the public. 
So the first thing we did was, you know, call um, uh, WSBT TV and, and WSBT radio and kind of modeled what we do at Blackthorn from a marketing perspective uh, to get the word out. Um, and so far they have uh, just been killing it. So uh, things are going really well there. It's a neat little golf course. Um, um, would encourage everybody to give it a try. Um, and it's very affordable. We, we set the price point this year to try to get people out there to see the place. So I think it's $37 during the week, 47 on the weekends. Um, and then we do a $27 Thursday special. Hmm. So um, Ben Oak Golf or bentoakgolf.com is the website. Um, and you can uh, get all the information there. So we're in the process of putting in a new um, point of sale system with the, you know, online um, tea times and, you know, the email blasts and all this stuff um, um, over there as well. So we're, we're trying to mimic kind of what we've done at Blackthorn and, and kind of creating that at Ben Oak. And so far, knock on wood, it's going well. Well, that's a pretty good blueprint to start with what you've done out at Blackthorn in South Bend. As you get involved in something like this, what's the first thing you do when, when you take over <laughs> something like this? I'm, I'm just really kind of curious, the, the mindset going into something like this. Well, I think everything's a little bit uh, different um, depending on the property um, and, and also depending on the current uh, staffing that you have. I think, you know, one of the first things that you always look at is who's who's running the place. Are they the right fit? Are they right who we want and, and where we need to go with that? Obviously, any major concerns that you have on the golf course irrigation, um, no water, no golf course. So always want to make sure that the irrigation system is working and, and then, you know, get into the marketing stuff of, you know, how are we going to market this golf course and how are we going to what's our you know vision as far as rates and memberships and, and those types of things. And, you know, then kind of build out a uh, pro forma to, to, with those assumptions and, um, and uh, off to the races. So that's, wow. you know, kind of the, the process. Uh, obviously there's many hours that go into all those, but um, that's kind of how we handle it. I remember very early on in the, golf show here on WSBT radio we were going through some really hard economic times and the golf industry took a really big hit a lot of people stopped playing golf as they had to tighten the budgets and now Tim we've really come full circle as so many people are either picking up the game or maybe they have not played in so many years and now they're back interested as you mentioned golf courses like Blackthorn have had amazing business over the last year and a half of course, the COVID situation is a horrific situation that we have gone through. Do you think, Tim, the golf industry has this big boost had it not been for this horrible pandemic? Because people were looking for things to do, and it just seems like one of the industries that has become extremely popular, once again, is the game of golf. I know you don't want it to happen from this standpoint, but at the same time, do you think this surge happens without what we went through in the pandemic, people looking for something to do? No, no chance. This really triggered uh, the, the, the boom without a doubt. Um, I guess from my perspective, I'm just shocked um, how much it hmm. affected it. You know what I mean? 
Um, but no, I think if you look at all these outdoor recreational sports, whether it's camping, hunting, fishing, golf, or I've all seen incredible increases with people wanting to do something. Now, we hope what we have to do is make sure we are providing the experience and the entertainment for people to stay, stay interested and, and continue to play. Um, so, you know, I think that's our job now as golf course operators is to keep the people that have come back or that have started. So hmm. what type of pressure isn't the right word? I'm not, I'm not able to really find the adjective or the word I'm looking for, but with the increased play on a golf course like yours that is always in championship-level look and, and feel, just the people, the maintenance crew that work on the golf course, the superintendent with so much more play, the obvious thing is there's more divots, there's more things to fix on the green. I'm just wondering how much more pressure there is on the superintendent on a daily basis with play up, yet still have time to do everything necessary to make the golf course as spectacular as you want it on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, it's first of all, it's just you know getting the time out there with all the golfers out there is the right. biggest challenge. You know, we're starting at six a.m. and these guys are starting at four with the lights on the mowers and <laughs> trying to get the greens mowed before everybody gets up out there but uh there's no question the the wear and tear especially on the tees on the par threes we've actually had to extend and build out uh, one of the par threes um resotted the whole thing and and kind of enlarged it that's probably the biggest wear and tear um and then um ball marks on greens just trying to make sure we encourage and uh, remind golfers to repair their ball marks um those are the two probably biggest areas but just our crew, um, at the end of the day, um, is going to do the same work, whether we have 20 players on the books or 200 on the books. So uh, their routine is the same every day. Um, it's just staying, getting golfers and getting out of their way and be able to get finished. So that's probably uh, been the biggest uh, challenge for them, like I said, is just how much play we've had and, and timing for those, for mm. those guys. Sounds like Blackthorn's just like Pebble Beach, four in the morning in the dark. They're out there on the mowers and getting everything ready to go for a very, very busy day. Maybe a little different scenery, but at the same time, it's just kind of the same thing, right? I mean, really, you're dealing with the same thing, an enormous number of golfers on the golf course and just finding time to do all that work. So just like Pebble Beach. Just like Pebble Beach. A little, you... little bit more affordable. yeah yeah just a little bit that i think that costs you a monthly mortgage payment to play out of pebble beach but i think one time it's probably definitely worth it to say the least have you altered at all the the start times the tea times i know back during the the heat of the covid moments that i want to say some golf courses extended the amount of time in between tee times at their golf course from a safety standpoint uh, what are things like at blackthorn right now from that standpoint yeah we did that last year we went to you know i think 10 or 12 minute intervals to kind of space it out but um even towards the end of last year we went back to our normal okay uh, we go nine nine minutes eight minutes nine minutes eight minutes um starting and we kind of got back to normal last year and that gives you you know a good flow uh, for pace of play um, don't want to cram them out there too fast all together. So uh, that seems to work best for us. 
Tim, with the amount of people getting back into the game of golf, what is your projection, what this is going to mean for the golf industry? There was a time there weren't many golf clubs that were being purchased by the public. I would assume demand is as high as it's been in a very long time. Do you think we'll see much more product coming out at this particular time, more opportunities for people to get equipment into their hands that maybe best suit them and give them a best chance to hit the golf ball as good as possible? Well, there's no question. Demand is, uh, I've never seen it like this for golf club sales. The Hmm. problem, like I think I mentioned on a couple other shows, is we can't get product. Hmm. So um, with still the supply chain uh, issues with COVID, uh, the manufacturers are having a difficult time getting the equipment out uh, in a timely fashion, but people are still ordering it. And um, I think the other thing that has really driven uh, the club sales is just how uh, specific we can get on club fitting and making sure we have customized clubs for everybody. Mm-hmm. And with all the technology and, and being able to show them, uh, you know, ball speed and spin rate and how, how far they're carrying it all those things that they can see with new clubs compared to their old clubs uh, is really made um, a big difference. You know, back when you and I were, you know, uh, in high school or whatever, getting a set of clubs, we, we had no idea. You just bought it off the shelf or, yeah. you know, I think we've lost We've lost the signal with Tim just a little bit here. So BlackthornGolf.com is the place for the latest information on Blackthorn. We'll see if we can reestablish Tim here in just a second because we want to talk about a crazy last weekend at the PGA Championship. And the winner was Phil Mickelson. Was this like 10 years ago all of a sudden? Amazing. We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments as the Mick Ultra Golf Show continues on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Okay. So, Tim, what does an assistant golf professional make? (laughs) (laughs) This week may send me to a new profession. There you go. Uh, Can I clear 15,000 a year? Yeah, no problem. I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Ready when you guys are. Okay, here we go. This is segment number two coming up in three two and one the mick ultra golf show on sports radio 961 wsbt on this saturday morning along with the owner of blackthorn golf club in south bend tim firestone my name is darren pritchett wow tim i know we were texting a little bit last weekend as the pga championship was unfolding down in south carolina and some amazing storylines developed and held up through the third and fourth rounds 50-year-old Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship, his sixth major, his first since 2013. Tim, he had not finished in the top ten in a major in five years and entered the PGA Championship, ranked number 115 in the world. We all know through the years Phil has been one that is very aggressive, There is never a layup shot. It's always, hey, let's figure this out. Let's go for it, full throttle. But Tim, down there in that golf course in South Carolina, he hit the ball extremely well. And I think the first thing that comes to mind before we get into age and anything else, the way he drove the golf ball, 
not only is accuracy, which at times can be considered a surprising attribute for Phil since he can spray it all over the place, but Tim, at the age of 50, he was hitting the ball with the young guys pretty evenly throughout the week. Yeah, he is uh, unbelievable flexibility. His swing looks the same. You know, he still can make the full turn, and um, he's a, a freak of nature. He stayed in shape. He's loved weight. I think he looks better now than he has, you know, maybe ever physically. Um, and then he got that new two wood, which I think uh, <laughs> he just kills it, and it's helped him with his accuracy. And um, for it's incredible knowing how short I hit it now compared to how I used to. And for him to be able to maintain and increase that length is phenomenal. How would you put into words watching Mickelson play this golf course under the scrutiny of trying to win another major at the age of 50? As you watched him play, were you absolutely stunned he was able to do this? Yeah, I mean, think about it. I don't know if you remember when Jack Nicklaus won the Masters at 46. Sure. Everybody lost their mind. You know, and now to be 50 years old uh, and, and pull this off is, is just, well, it doesn't happen, you know. Um, and, and so um, incredible uh, story, great for golf. He's a terrific uh, ambassador for the game. And um, I, I tell you, I, I wasn't a big Phil fan for a long time. I know you were, mm-hmm. but I'd say over the last four to five years, um, I've really become a big fan. Well, he has used social media to his advantage. He takes the yep. time to have some filled chats, and he will put together some fun videos. I know for the golf match with Tom Brady last year, he put together some really funny stuff. He has now kind of got the the golf phrase, hitting bombs and hellacious seeds, as he has put together these videos. You see him making his special coffee which helps with his arthritis, which, Tim, is another story. And all this back in 2010, he had that arthritis diagnosis that was awfully concerning. And with the use of his hands, you didn't know how that was going to affect him. And he has found something that has worked for him. So even going all the way back to 2010, I don't know if anybody thought what Phil might be able to do with that arthritis condition, but he has overcome that. And to his credit, like so many other people right now who are – getting up in age like a Tom Brady playing quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or Serena Williams winning Grand Slam tennis events at the age of 36. There is an outlet if you put in the time, if you put in the effort, if you eat the right things, if you do yoga, whatever the case may be, there's just an outlet for players to continue to be at the top of their game at an older age. Now, I guess if there's any sport, you can do something great at 50. Obviously, it's golf or, or bowling or something like that. I don't think Tom Brady is going to be winning Super Bowls at 50, but maybe I shouldn't count him out at this point. But, Tim, he, he fasts 36 hours a week, and he watches what he eats. He, he is in as good a shape as we have ever seen him. So I think we can talk about his golf swing and his execution all we want, but I think in the game of golf now, it is so different from when we were growing up when the body types of some of the great players is yeah. absolutely totally different than what we're seeing today. No, I think you make a great point. We might see this 
more and more going forward with how great a shape these guys are in um, compared to the back in the day. I mean, if you remember when Jack won and when he was 46, he was chunky. You know sure. what I mean? He was yeah. not a thin specimen. So, uh, yeah, I think you bring up a good point. This could be uh, – we might see more of it in the future with with all of this. But, um, you know, I think for Phil and for golf and I think um, – it just to me that final scene on the 18th hole was you know probably the second best thing i've seen in golf in a while i think tiger coming back and winning the Masters still for me would be a little bit ahead of that but uh it sure was cool uh watching that scene i think the security uh budget <laughs> must not have gotten uh, approved or something <laughs> that was insane yeah, when Phil got grabbed after that last wedge shot on the 72nd hole, that's when things got awfully serious, and you had to worry about Brooks Kepka, who has a knee injury, trying to get through that crowd. And, you know, he mentioned his knee got hit a couple of times, and he wasn't very happy about that, and I can't blame him. And it was an iconic moment. It is a shame it couldn't have been controlled a little better. It almost looked like what we normally see at the Open Championship as they allow the fans to get Right. Part of the action on the 72nd hole. And, and actually, Tim, I can think of some iconic moments where Tiger Woods is walking down that last fairway and the fans are right behind him going absolutely nuts. It does make the game of golf feel and look a little different. I think for so many years it was a stuffy sport for a lot of people, an elitist sport. I think Tiger is part of the reason why. That's changed. More people who never watch golf probably watch golf because when Tiger was just getting going and starting to dominate the competition, became bigger than life, a lot of people, this is very hypothetical, but it's almost like Happy Gilmore at times with some of the fan base you saw in the stands in that Adam Sandler movie. People that you would never see at a golf course watching a PGA Tour event are there. So things have changed. And as you were talking, I think of Craig Stadler. One of the great players as we were growing up was not physically fit. I think of Duffy Waldorf, those type of players. Today, I mean, it's hard to find, Tim, too many golfers that are not in tip-top shape Mm -hmm. at this particular time. DeChambeau has gotten big just because of the muscle mass he has added, but there aren't too many guys that best way to describe it probably a portion of their belly's not hanging over the belt like they used to <laughs> exactly. is that okay to say that <laughs> unfortunately i'm still shaped like those older golfers that's for sure mm. well you did mention tiger winning in 19 and this has been a fun debate you know which is the better story which is the bigger story tiger in 2019, winning that first major in 11 years, overcoming all the injuries and personal obstacles that he created on himself? Or do you look at Mickelson winning this year for the first time in eight years, overcoming the arthritis, had not been competitive in majors in the last five years, was ranked number 115 in the world? How do you try to decipher which is truly maybe the bigger story and or the better story between the two. First off, both are tremendous for the game of golf. So it's really hard to pick between the two. Yeah. I think you just start with tiger, you know, the best player of all time and everything that he went through and everybody, including myself, you know, wagers going back years <laughs> that he would never win another major. 
Um, and that was kind of always a debate. We had it on the show so sure. many times, you know, whether or not he was going to be able to to win again. And just I think the 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 the, uh, the how big Tiger is for me was is what I think makes it a, a little bit uh, better of a story. Um, but again, to your point, they're both unbelievable stories. You got a guy that wins a major at the age of fifty. He was going to have. Remember, he accepted the special exemption this year into the U.S. Open. He didn't. He wasn't even qualified to play in it. <laughs> so now he's going to. It'd be interesting to see what he does uh, at the Open. But um, anyway, both great stories. Both great for the game of golf and two icons um, that have best have ever played. So um, really cool stuff. Yeah, that is amazing. The fact he had accepted that exemption, and now he gets a five-year exemption into all the majors <laughs> and the PGA Tour. So all of a sudden, he's got five free passes into our national championship, trying to complete the career Grand Slam at the U.S. Open. I've got a thought on that in a second, but first, just to go back to what you were talking about, I kind of looked at it this way, Tim, and in the question, I said it for a reason. I think one story between Phil and Tiger is better, the other is bigger. And I think the bigger story was Tiger just because, you're right, depending on your argument, the best or second best player of all time, he had gone through multiple injuries, the self-inflicted wounds he caused himself off the golf course. There was a time where, remember, he was not even able to chip the golf ball. He had the yips chipping. I mean, it it was hard to watch. There were times... He was just grimacing on the golf course, physically not able to play. And to see him come full circle and win that major in 19 when, like you, I didn't think he was ever going to win a major again, I think that was the bigger story because Tiger is bigger than life in the game of golf. Phil is a superstar, but Tiger is just on that extra level in terms of stardom in the game of golf. I do kind of think Phil might be the better story only because not only is he the oldest player to ever win a major golf championship, Tim, I think it's even more impressive considering it was the longest golf course ever to stage a major championship. Had they played it to the tips, that thing would have played 8,000 yards throughout the week. And considering that Phil has always invested himself in the fans at the golf course, when people holler something at him, he's giving the thumbs up or he's tipping his cap. He's become the people's champion because he has always taken the time to do that. Now, Tiger, when he was in his heyday, he wouldn't even look at the fans. He was so locked in, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, Tim. The way Tiger handled things was best for him, and he had amazing success. Phil, I think the fans relax him. A little bit they get behind him and it was crazy on sunday if i had a dollar for every time phil gave a thumbs up i sure wouldn't be doing this show anymore i'd be retired <laughs> sitting with with foster on his deck in, in south carolina <laughs> so I, I think with 
just everything with the arthritis, not being competitive in majors, and to not only become the oldest player to win a major at 50, to do it on that golf course. Now, it was not a U.S. Open setup. Don't get me wrong, Tim. That's, that's a tougher setup for Phil. But I just think he came out of absolute nowhere. I mean, there was he was 200 to 1 odds to win the golf tournament. So if you had to put $100 on Phil, you'd be pretty happy right now going to the bank. So I guess I look at it, the bigger story, hey, it's it's going to be Tiger. There's no doubt. But I, I just think everything surrounding Phil winning as a 50-year-old on that golf course with the way he normally plays, I would not have guessed it in a million years. Maybe Tiger wins another Masters if there was ever a place he was going to win one. Tim was probably Augusta National because he knows the golf course yeah. so well and there's limited penalty you know, with the rough at that golf course. So if he was going to win one, it was probably going to happen there. I just, as a Phil fan, I was always waiting for the wheels to fall off on Saturday and maybe at times on Sunday, and, and it never happened. And I, I'm really, as a fan, I'm shocked he pulled it off. I really am. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And then it's like every after every round, you're wondering, okay, well, now he's going to shoot, you know, 77 or he'll, you know what I mean, mess up and something will happen and there's no way this could happen. And then Saturday comes, and you're like, okay, this has got to be where he, the wheels fall off. And then Sunday, and the way that round started with those sure. two shot swings between them, you're like, oh, boy. But, you know, it was very uh, very entertaining to watch, very exciting to watch. And I think, uh, um, you know, let's also be honest, nobody really gave him a big push uh, on True. Sunday either. You know, True. I mean, um, so sometimes that's how golf works out, though. You know what I mean? Uh there's definitely some luck involved as well. You know what I mean? He shot one over for his round, which still is not a bad score, but what if someone, you know, Louie or, or um, some of these other guys Kept really him. got hot and threw up a 67 or something, then, you know, he wouldn't have won. So, Yeah, that's a very good point. Tim Firestone, the owner of Blackthorn, Darren Pritchard with you on the Mick Ultra Golf Show here on – WSBT Radio. I'm. It, it was. It was interesting on Saturday when he knocked the ball into the water when he hit that duck hook. That's when I thought, oh boy. But I think Tim he really benefited from having his brother on the bag because that was the point where Tim, who normally doesn't say a whole lot, pulled him aside and said, "If you're going to win this golf tournament, you have to." commit to these shots and Phil was getting to that point where he was not committing and mentally wasn't locked in like I'm going to pull this shot off I need to do this Tim pulled him aside after that shot and I think that might have saved the day now maybe Bones could have possibly said something similar but I think having his brother on the bag might have been as as important as anything that happened over the weekend because if you're not committing to shots Tim he would have ended up over par in that golf tournament, and he would not have been a part of the the storyline in this golf tournament. So that point on Saturday probably won the golf tournament. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, there's probably some self-doubt that he was having. You know, like he probably couldn't believe where where he was (laughs) positioned. And and then you just get a little nervous, and you don't, you know, then you just, you're not, to your point, you're not committing to the shot and committing to, uh, to the round. So, no, I think that's a great story. It was good to see Phil um, thank his brother 
I uh, saw that interview and um, yeah, uh, it's it, certainly there's, you know, such a mental, we've talked about everything we've talked about today has been physical, but the mental yeah. strength it takes to focus. And I think that's another um, thing that Phil's so good at. Phil talks about when he plays practice rounds, uh, he plays um, 36 to 45 holes mm. to, to, to concentrate and focus. And that way, when he only has to play 18 for a day, it, it's a lot easier for him to focus um, yeah. rather than having to grind out 45 holes of focus. So I thought that was an interesting comment uh, that I read about Phil as well. Well, two things. Maybe there was a sign this was coming when he shot 64 at Quail Hollow a couple of weeks ago. Now the tournament, he did not end up being in contention, but he, he showed glimpses. But my goodness, are you kidding? Six under par on that golf course. Pretty mm-hmm. remarkable. And I don't know if you caught his interview. He's playing this week at Colonial. And on Thursday, he shot three over par. And a reporter asked him, Phil, you said you wanted to play again this week, try to gain a little more momentum going into your two-week break before the U.S. Open. You shot three over, so take us through the round. He's like, yeah, I shot three over, didn't play well, but I'm still the PGA champion. (laughs) 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 Good old Phil. And I'll tell you what, Tim, I'm not sure how Brooks Kepka is playing championship golf, let alone any golf with the, the knee issue he's got right now and the procedure done on that knee. I think that was a major factor on Sunday. He would never admit it, but he was having a lot of time uh-huh. being accurate hitting the golf ball. So for Kepka to finish tied for second, two out at minus four, with Phil winning, that gets lost in the shuffle. But I, I don't know how physically he's doing it right now. With that knee the way it is right now and what he has had done to it, it's pretty remarkable he could play, let alone compete in this championship. And besides the, the way he hit the golf ball, boy, he didn't putt it very well. He might've won this thing. Yeah. I mean, the guy obviously just rises to the top when it comes to hard golf courses and, and grinding it out. Um, you know, there were several times you felt like he was going to shoot a big number on Sunday. You know, he had some really squirrely shots. Um, and, Man, you could just see the pain he was in, even bending down to get his ball out of the hole. You can tell sure. uh, that that knee's killing him. So, no, it was a very gutsy professional uh, performance by by Brooks. And, again, he's just seems to always be there in the majors. Mm. Tim Firestone, the owner of Blackthorn. Darren Pritchett with you, the Mick Ultra Golf Show on WSBT Radio. We'll step aside for a moment. More to come on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Roll. Okay, we are ready. Okay, 3, 2, and 1. Back on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT on this Saturday morning. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Tim Firestone, the owner of Blackthorn Golf Club in South Bend. This is probably a repetitive question, but I always like to ask you and John this question because I think it offers some perspective on the difficulty of some of the golf courses that we see on TV. So, Tim, this is always the example I give you. If I go out to Blackthorn and from the tips, if I shoot an 80 at your golf course, from the tips, I'd love to be able to shoot 80, by the way, from there. But if I went down to the PGA Championship and played that course the Monday after Phil won the championship, what do you think I would have shot? And we'll say it's, it's playing pretty long, like mm-hmm. 7,600, 7,700 yards. 
I would say it's got to be 15 to 20 shots harder um, would be my guess. Um, again, that's just such a grind, some of those holes. Uh, and if you get it out of play and offline, you're going to make a big number. So at Blackthorn, you don't have those holes where you're going to make, you know, a quadruple bogey. But we saw several triples, uh, lots of doubles on that golf course. So I'd put you down for a 98. Really? Wow. I would have guessed I probably would have shot around 120, honestly. And I guess one well, of the you reasons. Said you're assuming you can shoot 80 from the tips at Blackthorn, right? Right. Yeah, so it can't be forty shots harder. You don't think so? You okay. know, if, you, if you're that means if you shot eighty from the tips of Blackthorn, means you're probably a six handicap. Okay. And if you're a six handicap, you can't shoot one forty there or one twenty there. But now, assuming that you know what you would really shoot, if it's we're talking about you, it could be one twenty. Yeah, but, I think Tim, where the difficulty comes in is the fact on some of those greens, they're on a platform, and then there's that big runoff. And there mm-hmm. was that 293-yard par-4 that they played that Mickelson hit it short of the green and ended up making bogey. I just think my short game would be the one thing that would be very difficult, chipping the golf ball on that golf course, because it's one of those things at times, if you don't hit the ball hard enough, it comes right back to you. And that's when I can see the big numbers starting to develop. I, I think from a driving standpoint, there are some difficult shots, but it's doable, I think, for someone that could shoot 80 at Blackthorn and the approach shots. You should be able to do okay. But I think the short game, that's where that golf course would bring you to your knees. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and you're not going to make probably a lot of birdies and and – you know, if you don't get in the right position on those greens, there'll be a lot of three putting going on. That's for sure. Hmm. What is the fastest you have ever had the greens on the scent meter out at Blackthorn? And, and what was the event? Um, I think it was the first year we hosted the NAIA Women's National Championship. And, you know, it was a, a big event for us. And um, John probably had them. I would say probably 11, 11 and a half. And I saw a girl seven foot number 18. Oh, it was, no. they were too fast for that tournament. We got a little carried away. Um, but that comes to mind right off the top of my head of, of, uh, of how fast they were and they shouldn't have been. So that was the years ago. And now even for Symmetra, we keep them around 10, 10 and a half is what the tour wants you to do. You know, they don't want to embarrass the players. And then, you know, some of those greens at Blackthorn, running that fast there would just be deadly yeah i'm thinking 18 i'm probably gripping my putter a little tighter if the stint meter is at 11 mm-hmm. on that particular green and then i'm also thinking the par three third with the undulation difference in that green if you're on the top layer of that green and the pin is in the front Tim, I'll tell you what, that would be a very difficult putt, I would think, to hold on the green if the stint meter was that fast. Exactly right. Ball just keeps on rolling, rolling, rolling. So, <laughs> yeah, they got to keep very uh, close eye on the speed on on uh, on 18, especially that pin back left. And then now 
you know, we've shaved down that whole left side of the uh, rough where there used to be a large tree there. Mm-hmm. And now we, we mow that down. So even if you hit a really good second approach shot, trying to go in for two, the pond, um, being uh, making an, an extra difficult uh, shot to try to get there too. Tim, just a quick follow-up question for something I asked you and John last week. We got into a discussion about rangefinders being used for the PGA Championship, and and I didn't mind it. Mickelson and his caddy were using it. It just looked different, but I didn't mind it maybe as much as I thought. Have you seen an increase in people wanting to buy rangefinders since the PGA Championship? Have you noticed anything yet? No, no, not really. I mean, look, the no. guys, uh, everybody uses them. Um, that we have here, I mean, especially your better players already have them. So I, I think the people that we're going to have them already have them. And, um, um, that, you know, it's not going to move the needle from a sales standpoint just because they made it illegal on the, on the tour from my perspective. Hmm. Well, I'm one of the few people that do not have one. I don't get to play as much as, as I would like to. I know some of my friends have those and I've tried it and, <laughs> You know what, Tim? Maybe I'm just a knucklehead, but I had a hard time getting mm-hmm. the flag lined up. I would be like accidentally getting the distance for the tree behind the flag. So I guess it does take a little time to get used to it. No doubt. I mean, it takes practice. Um, I don't use them very often either, but when I do, it's it's a struggle to get it focused on that on the flag. But some guys are pros with it, man. They can just pick it up, boop, shoot it, and they got it. So I think it just takes more practice. Mm. I'll tell you what, I'm hanging with the right crowd because as we talked about last week, Tim had the chance to play Pebble Beach a couple of weeks ago. And one of my good friends back in Illinois went to a kind of a member guest down at Sawgrass. He actually got to play uh, Sawgrass four times. And the first time on the par 317th, there was like a 25-mile-an-hour wind into the golfers oh. on the tee, and he tried to hit a knockdown seven and, and pulled it into the water, but apparently he hit it into the water two of the four times. I know the one thing he said, and you can probably speak to this at Pebble Beach, you have a vision of what the golf course looks like, but it always looks different from on TV because the stands and the crowds mm-hmm. are gone. Like the 16th at Sawgrass was one he said without the crowds, it looked totally different. I'm sure at Pebble Beach at times there were spots it maybe didn't necessarily look like you thought just because the stands and the crowd weren't there. Yeah, that's a great point. It's definitely uh, the course set up for tournament play. It looks way different than playing it every day. Um, so there's no doubt about that. Have you played Sawgrass? I have. It's been years ago um, and um, had a great time, great golf course. Um, and I did not hit it in the water on 17. I remember that. Nice. But other than that, um, I don't remember too much of of, uh, of the round. I went and watched the tournament there. Also, uh, Greg Norman won by like hmm. seven or eight shots. Just completely lit it up. Um, so it was, it was really fun. It's a fun golf course to watch tournament golf on. We sat there on 17 and, you know, maybe make a wager of who hits it closest to the hole <laughs> out of the three golfers and, uh, it's a yeah, just a great venue uh, for tournament golf. I've got thirty seconds for this answer. If I give you the chance to play one of these two holes right now, which would you play? 
the par 3 7th at Pebble Beach, which is like 100 yards with the ocean in the background, or the 17th at Sawgrass, the Island Green? I would say Pebble Beach without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, that hole okay. is so cool and iconic and, you know, the chip-in uh, with, with, with the Tom Watson chipped in on that hole. And then, yeah. you know, it's just magical uh, little golf hole. Tim Firestone, Darren Pritchett with you. We'll wrap up the Mick Ultra Golf Show next on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. And that leaves us one minute for the finale, Tim. Thank you for hanging in here today, man. It's I know this has not been easy the last couple of weeks. I, I appreciate your patience. Live from 9 to noon. Then we had to pick up an ESPN radio show to keep the contracts. We have Greenberg from 12 to 2, and then Coward from 2 to 5, and then Sean is 5 to 7. So. Okay. So there Does you Sean go. know yet? Yeah, he knows. Yeah. Okay. So, Timmy, if you ever need anything promoted, you know, golf-wise, you want to do anything on the show, you know you're more than welcome anytime to give me a call, and and we'll have you on, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. We're ready, guys. Okay, so, Tim, we got a minute for what's coming up in three, two, and 1. We're back on the Mick Ultra Golf Show. Tim Firestone, the owner of Blackthorn Golf Club. Tell us what's happening out at Blackthorn. Well, of course, is in an unbelievable condition. I haven't seen it this good for quite some time. Uh, come out and play. Black cards are still available. Uh, we still do have a few spots in our junior camps uh, coming up for this summer. And then we uh, still have plenty of lots available at the new Blackthorn Reserve for three houses running construction. So blackthorngolf.com for all information. And John Foster not with us this week. What's coming up on John Foster's deck this week? Probably a little Michelob Ultra <laughs> kicking his feet up and watching golf <laughs> at Colonial. Hey, Tim, go. good to catch up with you. Always enjoy the visit. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, Darren. That has been another installment of the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT South Bend. Okay, let me get that Thanks, saved. Thanks, Tim. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.